Praying with a friend who is struggling with same-sex attraction, preaching what the Bible teaches about sexual ethics, and supporting someone who is confused about their gender identity. Activists want all of these things to be covered by the government's proposed conversion therapy ban, but the Equality and Human Rights Commission says they should not be included. The government itself has indicated that they will not be included in a ban. Mike Freer, MP and Equalities Minister, wrote to the Christian Institute before Christmas to say its proposed package of measures will not impact everyday religious practice, and we are clear that private prayer, of course, could not be considered to be conversion therapy. And we'll pick up on that word private shortly. The freedom to express the teachings of any religion will not be affected by the ban, and there should be no doubt that individuals will still be able to access support and counsel from religious leaders. The Westminster government initially launched a six-week consultation on how to implement a ban. This was later extended by a further eight weeks until last Friday, after it accepted that six weeks was not nearly long enough to gather evidence on such wide-ranging proposals. With me to discuss the details of the proposed plans is our Deputy Director for Public Affairs, Simon Calvert. Simon, thank you for joining me. Our focus today is mostly going to be on the proposed measures in England and Wales, uh, but I am very aware that a ban is also being considered in Scotland, and we'll come to that a little bit later on. But firstly, what's your reaction to this promise that everyday church activities, prayer, preaching, pastoral support, uh, will not be banned by Westminster? For instance, um, is there any significance in Mike Freer saying that private prayer uh, will not be banned as opposed to simply mm. prayer? So, I mean, the first thing to say about this is that um, Westminster is at least indicating that it understands that there could be a problem. Now, when you look at um, governments in other parts of the UK, they're not saying these kinds of things, and that worries me. That makes me think they don't even realise that there could be a problem. Whereas um, at Westminster, at least they do acknowledge that if they get this law wrong, it will damage basic religious freedoms. The problem is, do they really understand where we're coming from? Do they really understand Christian theology and practice? Do they understand the thing that they're legislating for in a way which will enable them to legislate carefully enough to, you know, to, to, to protect it, to not go too far. Um, and, you know, do they understand how their proposals are going to work out in practice? That's the big question, that's the big problem. And the example you give of Mike Freer talking about private prayer not being caught by the ban is, is a good illustration of, of the problem because um, we think private prayer means two, three Christians praying together. But it, the government has previously used the phrase private prayer to mean somebody praying on his own. Well, I mean, what's the point in an assurance that a conversion therapy ban won't ban private prayer? Because nobody's going to report themselves to the police for praying for themselves. So, you know, this kind of lack of religious literacy is a serious part of the problem here. It could be. Uh, the most controversial subject we've covered uh, in a CI podcast so far. Um, why is it such a fraught issue to talk about? Well, um, it's a fraught issue partly because there are some people who credibly can tell stories where in the past they've been mistreated uh, for being gay. But beyond that, you have a lot of people um, telling stories about being victims of conversion therapy that 
he seemed to be giving a distorted and exaggerated account of just hearing Bible teaching, which they later decided that they didn't like. Mm. But to, to, to many people, they, they hear these stories of people you know, claiming that, that being part of this church just made them feel terrible about themselves. Um, and you know, their con conclusion is therefore that the church shouldn't be allowed to teach those things. I mean, some of these activists will expressly say things like, um, the church taught me that I was sinful. That's what that, church is supposed to do. Well, I, right, yes. I mean, you know, Thessalonians uh, talks about, um, you know, Christ, the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's, you know, that is central to the work of Christ. Why did Christ die on the cross? He died for sin because every last one of us are sinners and sin is a very, very serious problem. It is humanity's number one problem. And, you know, Bible-believing Christians certainly don't go around saying that, you know, gay people are sinners and the rest of us are not, never in a million years. Um, and so teaching people that they are sinners in need of a saviour is central to the mission of the church. It's central to the gospel itself. If we're not sinners, Christ didn't need to die. We didn't need a saviour. It's that important. So, so yes, so to say that you, know, you went to a church and you heard somebody say that you were sinful and that made you feel bad about yourself. Now, look, you know, I, I don't deny that you know, some people may feel very upset by hearing that, but you can't ban it. You can't outlaw it. And the flip side of that is many, many, many people like me who went along to a church, heard that they were sinners, and then heard that Christ was the solution to that, the way of forgiveness and reconciliation to God, and embraced that, and it was the most wonderful thing in their lives. So, uh, you know, there is more than one way to respond to hearing somebody say, you know, the Bible teaches us that we're, that we're all sinners. And the idea that you can outlaw this, you know, use a criminal law to, to ban people from teaching um, people, teaching LGBT people, that they are sinners. You just can't. You can't do that. It will be a breach of the UK's obligations under the European Convention on Human Rights. It's a basic uh, religious liberty to be able to you know, explain your faith, including you know, what it has to say about sin. And of course, the, the focus here is, is just around LGBT issues. And you know, look, I, I would want to be very clear and say, um, of course, you've got to be wise in how you talk to people. You've got to be sensitive. And um, and, you know, ex telling somebody that um, same-sex sexual activity is, is sinful is almost never going to be the first conversation you're ever going to have with that person. Um, you know, these difficult conversations where we help people to confront their own sin, whatever kind of sin it is, sexual sin or anything else, these difficult conversations have to take place in the context of a, of a relationship of, of, of trust and a relationship of respect and, and in a, you know, a context that the person knows that, that we love them and that we believe that, you know, um, that, that God offers you know, a welcome and, and forgiveness to people through Christ. So you've got to get all your context right. I'm not defending you know, being horrible to gay people, but I certainly am defending the freedom of churches and individual Christians to tell people, whoever they are, whatever the background they're from, whatever their sins are, the freedom to say, 
you're a sinner and Christ is the solution to your sin as he was the solution to my sin. You're the spokesman for the Let Us Pray campaign and, and the campaign has a very clear message. Um, harmful coercive practices should be banned if they are happening, uh, but consensual prayer and pastoral support can be beneficial and there's no reason to try and restrict them. But not everybody thinks that way, do they? Uh, there have been some who've deliberately blurred that line uh, between the two and they've lumped them all together mm. under the same banner. Yes, that's what's happening. I mean, if you look at the, the media coverage, I mean, I've been tracking this issue, working on this issue for well over two years, and you, you look at the media coverage and they'll often give a, a, a sort of summary like this. Uh, they'll say that conversion therapy uh, includes um, electric shock treatment, corrective rape, and prayer. And they will bracket those things together as if they are on the same mm. spectrum. That's grotesque. It's, it's grotesque, I think, towards victims of, of rape and, and real abuse. And it's grotesque towards Christians to suggest that, that merely praying with somebody is somehow comparable to raping them. But that's the way... I mean, BBC and other mainstream news outlets will, will use that kind of summary of what conversion therapy is. Um, and, you know, that, that is part of the problem. So, I mean, like so many issues that, that we work on, we just have a huge job of work to do to kind of disentangle all of the untruths and half-truths around an issue and to help people to understand what's really at stake and to understand, you know, what we're really saying. But because people are so used to you know, very, very one-sided media reporting on this issue. Um, you know, when they hear us trying to explain why we have concerns about a conversion therapy law, they're just not willing to listen. Um, and so we, you know, we just have a, a real job of work to do to, to help people to understand what we're really saying and what's really at stake. We've spoken about the the positive effects and the positive signs for prayer and pastoral support. Um, in the consultation, but what other parts of the government's consultation uh, do Christians need to be concerned about? Well, they should be concerned about the potential impact on the family, on Christian parenting, um, because there is a, an assurance in the consultation paper that uh, the government don't want the plans to interfere with parents' ability to raise their children in the faith. But again, it's it's not clear how they propose to, to do that. If you look at other countries in the world that have brought in conversion therapy bans, they, they use words like um, suppress in the legislation. So the idea that somebody's trying to suppress somebody else's sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, Christians would never set out to suppress anyone, and that's certainly not how we would describe what we do. But you can see how, um, you know, a parent who explains to their child the Christian sexual ethic or you know, teaches their child the biblical truth that God made us male and female and that therefore you know, a man cannot become a woman. You can see how somebody would misunderstand and misinterpret that as an attempt to suppress uh, a child if that child you know, later identified as, as gay or, or as, as transgender. And so 
I, I think, you know, within the family there is a risk that this law could, could bite. And of course that wouldn't just affect Christians. I mean, if um, you have a, a, a mum who's a feminist and her daughter comes home and reveals that she, you know, she's been talking to some people, she's been looking at some stuff online and she wonders whether actually she's a boy trapped in a girl's body. That may be you know, the answer to some of the struggles that she feels she has. That feminist mum is going to do everything she can to persuade her daughter to accept herself for the, the woman, the female person that she is. But is that suppressing? Is that trying to change somebody's gender identity? It is in the eyes of some people. So unless this law is very, very carefully worded, you could see cases where um, people accuse members of their own family of attempting to carry out conversion therapy on them merely for talking to them and explaining their point of view and indeed for you know trying to encourage them to adopt that same point of view. In fact there's, there's this weird phrase in the consultation paper where it, it says you know if you have a conversation with someone about um, sex or sexuality and you know you're not trying to direct them down a particular path that's okay that won't be conversion therapy. So the implication is if you are trying to direct someone down a particular path it could be conversion therapy. Well again Parents try and give their children direction for life. They try and encourage them down a, the particular path or paths that they think are best for them. And certainly in our churches, I mean, you know, we believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We certainly believe there is a right path for people to follow. So uh, for the government not to understand that, you know, whether in families or in churches, People have conversations where they give direction and they encourage people and urge people to go in a, in a particular direction. For the government not to understand that at this stage in the, uh, in the proceedings is, is very worrying. You mentioned there the, the idea of, uh, of gender and, and parents in particular. Um, the consultation talks about it being a, a two-way street and, you, and you've mentioned leading people down one path or another. Um, it suggests that a new law would make it illegal to uh, stop someone from trying to change gender. Um, but it also suggests um, that it would be illegal for schools and other organisations to, to try and push someone uh, into, into changing their gender. Um, in reality, how do you think the law is going to be applied? I think in reality, which of those two things is the most controversial? today. It's, 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 not, it's failing to encourage somebody to pursue you know, transition. That's the controversial thing. So I, I think schools and organisations that are you know, encouraging um, people to, to transition and, and facilitating that, I, I think they're unlikely to get complaints. I think you know, it, that's unlikely to happen. It's, it's those of us who take the opposite view. At the moment, in the current climate, it's, it's those of us who take the opposite view who, who are more likely to be on the receiving end of, of complaints. Now, where do these proposals need to be improved or, or, or are they needed at all? Well, I mean, that is a valid question. Are the proposals needed at all? I, I mean, the government consultation paper admits some of the problems with its, its evidence base. In terms of actual you know, peer-reviewed um, evidence, the, the government doesn't offer much. And... Um, you know, there are academics who are highly critical 
of the two main surveys which get used to, to advance this agenda. One is by a campaign group called the Ozan Foundation, which, you know, is just pure campaigning stuff. And the other is the government's own survey where um, they didn't define conversion therapy, but then asked people if they'd been subject to it. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty poor, poor basis. Um, and there are people, and not just Christian people, who are saying the government needs to do a lot more work uh, to establish the prevalence and the scale of the problem before they can you know, responsibly legislate for it. Uh, the Equality and Human Rights Commission was, was among those saying that the, the government needs to um, sort out its, its evidence base, wasn't it? Um, uh, and it also said that rushing a ban through quickly risks these unintended consequences um, and that if the government does intend to ban conversion therapy, it needs to do so uh, in a clearly defined way that does not cut across basic religious freedoms. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, the intervention of the Equality and Human Rights Commission, um, the UK Commission, that, that was very welcome. Firstly, what that does is it confirms what, what we've been saying for two years or more, which is that if the government gets this wrong, ordinary activities of churches are at risk. So they agree with us about that. Uh, and they're saying it's important to, to get this legislation precisely right, which again is, you know, is exactly what we've said. I mean, we've said to the government, you know, given that it's, it's not just us saying these things now, it's the UK Equalities and Human Rights Commission. They really need to just be willing to pause and to take the time to consider these concerns, consider these questions, and to, to come back and demonstrate exactly how they're going to word this new law in a way which is going to tackle the problem they say needs tackling, whilst not trampling on basic religious freedoms. I recently interviewed um, Murray Campbell, a pastor out in Melbourne in Victoria, where a draconian conversion therapy ban is set to come into force very, very soon. And in their legislation, praying with someone, even when that's consensual, um, will be an offence. Uh, even praying about someone who isn't present uh, could be an offence, uh, whether that's alone or, or in a small group, as you've mentioned. Um, that's considered a legal grey area. Now, to me, and I'm sure to a lot of Christians, that sounds extreme, uh, but it's being touted in the UK as an example of best practice. That's right. The, uh, the, the Scottish Parliament's Equalities Committee, they think that Victoria is the gold standard and that uh, Scotland and the rest of the UK should, should follow its example. Uh, that's very worrying. That, that's just very concerning. And, um, I mean, you know, we've been highly critical of the way that, that the Equalities Committee went about its, its job. Um, they were scrutinising a, a petition, a call from a, a campaign group for a, a ban, a, you know, which reaches into the work of churches and so on. Seven of the ten MSPs on the committee that were meant to be scrutinising this campaign had already signed a pledge to that campaign to give them exactly what they were asking for. And of the eight evidence sessions that the committee held, seven of them were composed entirely of people who absolutely supported a ban. Um, so, I mean, that's not scrutiny. And, you know, the Scottish Parliament, I'm afraid, has got form on this where because they are just so convinced of their own rightness and, and, and not prepared to properly scrutinise proposals, they get it wrong in a way which leads to breaches of human rights. And that's why we won the named personal legal action was because the Scottish Parliament got the legislation wrong, it created breaches of human rights and the UK 
Supreme Court struck it down. So, you know, they should be concerned uh, that if they get this wrong, that, that the law could be challenged. And in fact, we've, we've indicated that, you know, we would be willing to, to do exactly that. We would be willing to bring a legal challenge. I'll come back to, to Scotland in just a minute, but I, I want to focus uh, for a moment on Victoria and, and the ban there. Um, the Victorian government has released this uh, fact sheet breaking down what uh, is going to be included uh, in the ban, what the proposed law will entail. And it contains some pretty strong language, um, which in effect will prevent Christians from being able to share with their LGBT friends or family um, the fullness of scripture um, essentially seems to say you can't share the gospel with someone if they are gay, lesbian, uh, trans, non-binary, etc. Because telling them that they are sinful would be harmful to them. Um, but of course the gospel says that all need forgiveness uh, for our sins. There are people with all sorts of problems, not just um, LGBT people, as you, as you mentioned earlier, that, and it's fine to tell all these other people that they're sinful, um, regardless of how harmful that might be to them. Um, but these rules say you must not say that to an LGBT person. Um, some of the other points uh, made in this fact sheet, again, seem like they're targeted at religious organisations. Um, in some areas, it's very clear you cannot run a support group aimed at helping people to live in accordance um, with the biblical view on sexuality, uh, as that would count as suppressing someone's sexual orientation. Um, but it also becomes uh, a bit more hazy. It says prayer is not banned unless it's used to change or suppress. Um, and it later says a prayer-based approach is a form of conversion therapy. Now, all this wording um, seems quite vague, uh, and too uh, open to interpretation, and, and it seems likely that it will catch Christians who are just trying to help others um, and, and trying to share the gospel with their friends. Yeah, the guidance from the Victorian Equal Opportunities and Human Rights Commission, um, it says things like, um, if, if, if somebody goes to a church pastor and, and asks for advice, the pastor can only tell them what the Bible says. They can't urge them to embrace what the Bible says. That's the import of what this guidance says. That is shocking. That's terrible. Because, I mean, you know, what is Christianity if, if, if not a religion that, um, you know, demands change of us, of all of us, of anyone who would claim to embrace the Christian faith? You know, the, the, the Apostle James says that if you claim to believe in Christ, but it never affects your life, then your faith is not real. So um, the Christian faith demands change of us, all of us, constantly throughout our lives. We're being, we hope, you know, progressively sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. So the idea that a minister can't urge somebody to embrace the Christian faith, can't urge them to, to change the way they're living just because the subject being discussed is sex or sexuality. That, that seems to me a, a, a fundamental breach of, of religious freedoms. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that law pans out in practice uh, in, uh, in Victoria. It, it doesn't come into effect until the middle of February. And so 
I think we're going to start seeing some cases coming out of Victoria which you know, show how dangerous this kind of law can be. And you have to feel for Christians in Victoria um, because it does seem like a very authoritarian law and it seems incredible that some people are saying that this, that this is best practice. We talked about England and Wales. Um, we'll come on to Scotland. Um, it's considering doing the same thing and, and it did call this best practice. Are you worried about, about Scotland in that respect? I'm worried that MSPs have not understood what's at stake. I'm worried that MSPs have really, a lot of them have really only listened to activists on one side of this issue. They haven't sought to listen to both sides properly. They haven't sought to come forward with balanced proposals. Um, I'm worried that, that MSPs on this committee think that you know, Victoria is, is the gold standard. Um, they must have heard about how extreme it is. They must have heard about the concerns and they're just not, not listening. Um, so I, I, I am concerned, and the Scottish Government you know, has made its own pledge to, uh, to bring in a conversion therapy law, and as I say, it, it's yet to say anything which suggests that they understand that, that, that there are risks of getting this thing wrong, that, that, that they understand that they need to come up with a balanced and careful law. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I think you know, we're going to have to watch Scotland very carefully, and you know, would urge Christians in Scotland to be um, willing to, to respond and to take action when we need them to uh, in order to try and um, push back and, and get our concerns raised with MSPs and raised with the government before it's too late. Well Simon, I think that's all we have time for, so thank you very much for joining me uh, and thank you to everyone who's listened to this today. Goodbye. <laughs>